Glad to have you join us uh, for Easter Sunday here at the Woods Home. Uh, Janice and I will welcome you to our living room, and we're sharing uh, this Easter with you. Uh, it's about the most people we've ever had uh, in our home at one time, and we're glad that you can be a part of this day and this Easter Sunday. Uh, this morning, I want to share with you a message about the resurrection, and I want you to think about life-changing phrases. May 13th, 1978, I stood in an altar and I held Janice's hands, looked her in the eye, and I said the phrase, I do. And that's had a 42-year impact with those words. On December 20th of 1991, they said, it's a baby girl. On December 29th, 2011, after a biopsy that I had for cancer, they said, it's positive. And on February 29th, 2012, following surgery, the surgeon came in and he said, we got it all. And then in April of 2017, five years after follow-up visits, he said, you're cancer free. And then on April 3rd, 2020, there was the phrase, congratulations, you're a grandfather. We'll let that one sink in for a moment. But then also March of 2020, there was the phrase social isolation. And thus, that's why we're here celebrating Easter online. Short, powerful phrases, phrases that impact your life. And today I want us to look at the account in the gospel of Mark about the resurrection of Jesus. And I want us to look at some of the short phrases that were shared that will radically impact your life and my life, both now and also for eternity. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Mark chapter 16, and we will look at the first seven verses. But before we do that, I'd like for us to set it up uh, before we get to those verses. Jesus, um, uh, son of God, grew up in Nazareth. Uh, he had about a three and a half year ministry, and he claimed to others that he was the son of God. Well, the religious authorities didn't like that, and it got them upset, and so they had him arrested. They had a mock trial, and uh, they accused him of blasphemy. And because he was accused of blasphemy, they had the Roman officials put him to death, and they decided to kill him by crucifixion, which was one of the most horrendous types of execution. And so on a Friday, they nailed him to a cross from nine in the morning until three in the afternoon. For six hours, he hung on the cross. And at three o'clock, he was pronounced dead. And there was a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who came by and asked the authorities if he could have the body of Jesus to bury him. And so he took the body down and he only just had a few hours to build, prepare the body and to have him buried because the Sabbath was going to begin at 6 p.m. and there was no work after the Sabbath. So for those few hours, he and friends prepared the body of Jesus to be buried. Part of that preparation was you would take linen cloths about a foot long and wrap them around the body. But as you wrapped it, you put some spices and some gummy resin uh, uh, thing uh, surfaces to place on him. And it's kind of like uh, like a glue. And so as you're wrapping the body, it's it's holding and it's gluing. And he took all the way from the neck down and then also did some areas on the head. And as they prepared the body, they then took it and they placed it into a tomb. Now the tomb was a cave that was hewn out of some rocks. 
And as you went into this cave, there would be a shelf to where you would place a body. And so they took the body of Jesus, placed it there in the tomb, and then they rolled a rock in front of it. A roll of the rock was it was a large disc that uh, of a rock that was rolled in front. And um, there was uh, some grooves right in front of the tomb so that you could roll it and it would stay. And then you could roll it the other way to be able to get into the tomb. The rock was so large that it took several men to be able to move it. So that's where you have it. But now the disciples and all the other followers of Jesus, I mean, their world has been turned upside down. I mean, these people believe that Jesus was the son of God. They believed that he was the Messiah. And yet now he has died. And so as they are trying to deal with all of this, we pick up the story found in the 16th chapter, first verse of people wanting to come and to anoint the body on Sunday. So follow with me. 16 verse one. He says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Now, these three women are the same three women in earlier chapter that were there at the burial. They saw exactly where they placed Jesus. Most likely what happened Uh, because of the haste of preparing the body, they were not able to anoint it and, and really provide the honor to the body that they desired. So what they did is they waited till Sabbath ended on 6 p.m. that, uh, that Saturday night and they bought whatever they needed of the preservatives, stayed up that night, got everything prepared and got up early Sunday morning to make their way to the tomb so that they could honor the body of Jesus and to anoint it. Verse two. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So they waited, got up early that morning. And as they were coming to the tomb, the sun started to rise. Verse three. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Well, now as they're getting closer to the tomb, they realize, how are we going to get in? How are we going to move this big rock? And so as they're asking that question, it gets answered for them in verse four. And it says, in looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. So as they come to the tomb, they see that the stone has already been rolled away. And so their natural inclination is to take a look in. And this is where we pick it up on the fifth verse. And they said, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And this white, this man sitting in the white robes is identified as an angel in the other accounts. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you. Now, uh, I, I like as they got there that when they see this angel who's sitting in there, I love the first words that he says. He says, you're seeking Jesus of, of Nazareth who was crucified. It's like he's wanting to make sure, are you at the right tomb? He says, you're seeking Jesus. Well, yeah, there's a number of people named Jesus uh, from Nazareth. Well, that kind of narrows it down. Who was crucified? Well, that pretty well <laughs> puts it right in that spot where there's just one person. And it's he's telling them, this is the tomb. This is where Jesus has been. And then he gives them the first of the five phrases. The first phrase is this. He 
is risen. So when he says he is risen, he is saying that Jesus is alive, death has been defeated, that the curse of sin has been conquered. You see, our sin creates this gulf between us and God. We have a holy God and we have sinful man. And because of our sin, it separates us from God. And the Bible says that the payment or the wages of that sin is death. That's both physical death and eternal death. And so as you have this separation, when Jesus came, he died to be that sacrifice. Remember, the payment of sin is death. And so Jesus dies on a cross. But the question is, was it enough? Did God accept that sacrifice? As soon as the angel said, he is risen, that was the stamp of approval that God had approved that sacrifice because he took Jesus and he raised him from the dead, showing that his sacrifice had been accepted and that death and sin had been conquered. And so Jesus has now provided this bridge between us and God. And if we accept him as Savior, submit our hearts to him, it is like walking across a bridge, becoming a part of God's family to where we will live for him while we're on earth and we will live with him for eternity. He is risen. Listen, Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection because if Jesus had not risen from the dead, then we would still be lost in our sins and we would be doomed for eternity. In fact, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, I don't believe we would have ever heard about him because the only way that we heard about Jesus is that when his disciples went out and shared the good news about him being risen from the dead. And if he had not been risen from the dead, there's no way these scared disciples would go and share this lie and propagate this untruth and, and go to their martyr's death, trusting that he had risen from the dead. If it hadn't happened, they'd have never done that. So when you see he is risen, it means that Jesus is the son of God. He has died for our sins and he can provide us life for eternity. Well, when he said he is risen, he's not here. Then the second phrase he said is come and see, come and see where they've laid him. Bottom line, the angel is saying, I want you to verify what I am saying to you. And so he says, come see where they laid. Well, when they walked in, what did they see? Well, in the book of John, it also gives an account of the resurrection and it gives an account of them, of he, of John and Peter running to the tomb. And when they run to the tomb, it says they saw the grave clothes lying there. Now, that phrase meant that those grave clothes, when it says they were lying there, it was as if they were sitting here and that the body that was wrapped up in it just passed through them and that the clothes were still there. And then there was the, what they called the napkin part that was wrapped around the head was over in a corner and it was folded. There was no disarray. There was no big fight like someone had come in and tried to steal a body. In fact, it would have been impossible. Because you take that body being wrapped as it was with all that resin and, and, and glue-like substance, that means someone would have had to completely unwrap a body, take that body out, and then somehow get those uh, linens to wrap back around to where it looked like a body had been there. It's impossible. And in fact, in John's account, it says that when John saw the grave clause, he believed immediately. That was it for him. That nailed it for him. 
It verified for him that truly Jesus had risen from the dead. And so when he says, come and see, the angel is asking them to come and he wants to verify that Jesus truly did raised from the dead. And in fact, the resurrection is a historical fact. For years, people have tried to discount it. And all the research that's been done, the answer has always come back that this is an historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. There is no dead body. The grave clothes where they are and the changed lives of the disciples. He has risen. So that's why we have come and see. And so I would give you that same challenge. Come and see. I encourage you, read about Jesus, read about his life, read about his teachings, read about his claims, study the resurrection and see what you come up with. And I believe if you do this, that you will also agree, hey, he really is the son of God and he really did raise from the dead. All right. The third phrase that he gave is he says, go and tell, go and tell. Now, I love the fact that he said, come and see. And as soon as he said, come and see, he then came back and he said, go and tell. Man, get out there and get after it. Go tell people. This is good news. Every time in the scripture you see, come and see, you also see, go and tell. Because it is good news and we need to let the world know this. And the angel didn't say, come and see, sit and soak. He said, come and see, go and tell. Go tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And so when people make a decision to receive Christ as Savior, their challenge and their impetus is to go out and tell people about this good news of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is risen. He is risen. We need to come and see, but then we need to go and tell. And then the next phrase is, and Peter, and Peter. Peter. This is, this is such a unique thing that the angel said. The angel told them, he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. So now why did he call out Peter? I mean, Peter was one of the disciples. Why did you say, go tell the disciples? Well, the reason he said Peter is that Peter, he really messed up. Uh, on the night of Jesus's arrest, uh, most of the disciples, they just ran. They scattered for the hills. And uh, Peter, he stuck around and he kind of followed in the shadows to see what was going to happen uh, to Jesus. And he sat around by a fire by some of the servants and he was just sort of biding his time seeing what was going to happen. And one of the servant girls looked at him and they said, I think I've seen you before. Aren't you one of those men that are with the Galilean? That's what they would call him because Jesus was from Galilee. And Peter said, no, nah, no, nah, that's not me. And then she saw him a little bit later on and there were a bunch of people standing around. She says, I'm pretty certain that, that you are one of his followers. And he got a little bit louder this time and said, no, no, not at all. And, and then all of a sudden the bystanders, they began to talk among themselves and they said, I'm almost positive that you're one of his followers. And then he really got loud and he says, no, there is no way. I don't even know the man. And he did oaths and he did curses against Jesus. And as soon as he finished, one of the gospels says that as Jesus was being taken from one area to another, his eyes met Peter's eyes right after that third denial. And he just went out and he wept. Now, there's nobody that felt lower than Peter. And as he had to suffer through that Friday night and Saturday and early Sunday, he's thinking there's absolutely no hope for him. But amazingly, the angel, these three women says, you need to go tell and who you need to tell is you need to tell all the disciples 
and you need to tell, and Peter. What a great phrase on there. And Peter. For Peter, he was, he was going to let this sin paralyze him and to think that there's no way that God could ever forgive him and that there's no way that God could ever use him. And there's some of you that are watching this service right now, and you can relate to Peter. Because as you're looking at your own life, you said, it has just been a mess. And maybe you've made some bad decisions. You've had some bad breaks. Everything's sort of compounding. And you feel hopeless for both now and you really don't even see a future for you. And there's some others of you that are uh, watching this same broadcast. And as you're watching this, you know that there's some things you've either done in the past or you're doing now that are causing hurt and pain and straining some relationships. And out of this hurt, out of this disappointment, you are thinking that there's no way you could ever be forgiven. There's no way you could ever get a second start. Well, that's why this Easter message is for all of us, but it's especially for you, because the and Peter relates to you. And that means that no matter what you've done, our God is gracious enough to reach down his hand and he can bring you to him to enter into a relationship with him. And he can also bring you back to him if you've already had a relationship. But maybe you've just kind of moved off to the side. And he can bring you back to where there's that close walk that you can have with him. And Peter. Now, I want to do something with you today. And, and that is that I want you to think about in this passage when they said specifically tell Peter what happened? I mean, did he really forgive Peter? Well, here's the great thing is that when he got with Peter, not only did he forgive him, but he gave him a commission. And he says, your commission is that you need to love the people. And I want you to love the people. And I want you to spiritually shepherd these people. I want you to lead them. One month later, this same Peter was standing before thousands of people and was boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people made decisions for Jesus. And that was the beginning of the New Testament church as it began to take off. This same man who had denied Jesus three times had been forgiven and now was being useful again. And Peter, it happened to him. And I'm telling you, it can happen to you. It's the same Jesus. Now, there's that verse of scripture. And in that verse of scripture, it says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you. We're going to put that verse on the screen. And as we put it on the screen, you will see where it says, and, and then I've got a spot where it says, fill in your name. Because I want you, every one of us, to put our name in there. So we know that none of us are so far away from God that we cannot be forgiven and be used by him. So I just want you to join with me. Just read it out loud. Same time I'm reading mine. And when it gets to your name, you just fill your name in. But go tell his disciples and Danny that Jesus is going before you. And Jesus has gone before you. And he is waiting for you. And he's wanting you to submit your life to him. Now, let me tell you the last phrase. When he says, I want you to go to Galilee just as he told you. Just as he told you. What that means is that Jesus is a promise keeper. Uh, 
Today, we hear a lot of promises. We hear promises all over the place. And most of the promises we hear, they will tell us, hey, you can get this for $19.99 or three easy payments. And most of those things that we hear like that, they never match up to the promises. The performance doesn't match the promise. Well, I've got you good news is that whenever Jesus makes a promise, he will keep that promise. Now, Early on in the, in his ministry, work with his disciples, he told them in Matthew 17, 22 through 23, he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. He's telling his disciples, listen, I'm promising you this. I will go to Jerusalem. I will, I will be killed. But then three days later, I will be raised from the dead. Now, they didn't understand it. His followers didn't understand it. But, you know, they also didn't understand it a little bit later. The night in which he was arrested in Mark chapter 14, verse 28, he made this statement. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. It's exactly what the angel reminded those ladies of. He said, tell those disciples, remember what Jesus said? As soon as he's risen from the dead, he'll meet you in Galilee, just as he told you. Jesus is a promise keeper. And Jesus is the one who has promised to provide us a pathway to get to God. And he promised this in John 14, 6. And in John 14, 6, he says, For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And so Jesus has laid out that pathway for us to be able to get to God. And because of the empty tomb, he is the resurrection and he is the life. And he is the son of God who has paid the penalty for us so that we can come into a right relationship with God. Just as he told you. Now, for the last couple of months, we have been living with COVID-19 and we've been living with uh, with the fear and the effects of that virus. And the desire of every person is that we would come up with a vaccine. And we keep praying that the scientists who are hard at work 24-7, that we can find this vaccine. And once that vaccine comes and once that cure is there, then many people will flock to the cure. But, you know, I believe that as people are flocking to the cure, there are not going to be any naysayers that say, "Nah, I prefer us not just to have one vaccine. I think there need to be a lot of different options out there. There need to be a lot of different ways in order to be cured from this particular disease. No, I think we'll be thankful that we have a vaccine and that we will go to that vaccine because it will cure us from COVID-19. You see, there is one vaccine for smallpox. There is one vaccine for yellow fever. There is one vaccine for measles and mumps and rubella, and there will be one vaccine for COVID-19. However, when it comes to the pandemic of sin, it seems like people say, I don't think there needs to be one vaccine for sin. There need to be many. There need to be a lot of different options, a lot of different ways to be able to overcome that sin problem. Listen, there is only one vaccine, and that is Jesus Christ. And the reason there's only one vaccine is because he is the only person who has met the demands and the requirements of a holy God. And because of that, we can have eternal life with God because Jesus has already paid our penalty. He has already provided us the vaccine for 
sin. And my hope is that you would receive that and receive that today. You see, there are life changing phrases. He is risen. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. Come and see, verify that the resurrection is a historical fact. Go and tell. We are to share that good news. Tell other people what Jesus has done in your life. And Peter, that means the gospel is available and open to everyone. Just as he told you, Jesus is a promise keeper. Life-changing phrases. I just want to share one more life-changing phrase with you. It was July 22nd, 1962. And the phrase was, I say yes to Jesus. And when I made that decision as an eight-year-old boy, it impacted my life for 58 years. And so not only did it radically impact my life for 58 years, but it will also positively impact my life as I move towards eternity, to spend eternity with God. My hope and prayer for you is that you would be willing to say yes to Jesus today. And you can do that. And I want to have a prayer and just lead us in a prayer right now. And if it's your desire to say, I am tired of the direction that my life has been going, and I would like to come into that relationship with Jesus Christ today, I want you to just follow me in this prayer and lift this prayer up to the Lord and ask him to come into your heart. Join with me now. If you'll just pray this prayer, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus died for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I submit my life to Jesus. I ask him to come into my life and to be the boss of my life. Thank you for answering my prayer. Amen.